got it. You got to block him at City State Radio. This is the show where we talk about cities, cities across the nation, around the world, a lot about our hometown of Louisville. Coming at you again from the home studios, me from the basement over here in um, Schnitzelberg. Guys, I know you're out there. I want to say hello. At first, I just want to check in, make sure you're not facing any extortion charges. You, 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 <laughs> you extortion charges from what? <laughs> it's a big, it's a basketball, it's a U of L basketball. Thing. Oh, it's sorry. Nobody's going to know about that. That was, that was dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's up with you guys? Who are you? How are you? This is Patrick Puma uh, from Belknap neighborhood at the moment in the bunker basement. Yeah. Patrick Henry coming at you from Spring Valley. Out beyond, on the outside of the Waterson Expressway, where the cicadas are only just now starting to emerge. I'm, I'm tired of seeing cicada pictures on the internet. <laughs> Man, like, it's just like, really? Just walk outside and you can see that. And then the thing from a couple of days ago, when there was, I guess everybody thought it was hilarious to share these stories about snacking on the cicadas. You roasting them up in the oven, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. We're, we're not there yet. I mean, when we go there, like in the end times or the, you know, pre-end times or whatever, like the Mad Max times, I'll eat the bugs then when we have to, if that's what it takes. But I'm not, I'm not getting into that right now. I will say I have tried uh, uh, grasshoppers. Yeah. I've, I tried a- those and it was, they were done almost like a, like salted peanuts kind of style. And they were... There's, I mean, if you hadn't told me what they were and I was just eating them out of a bowl, I probably wouldn't have realized they were bugs. But Yeah. I mean, it's like a novelty. You know, it's like, yeah, small, I'll, I'll try though. that. Cicada, that's a big bug. That's too big. Like, no kidding. That's too much. Grasshoppers, cicadas, I mean, it's, it's not like you're rolling up to the Whole Foods and getting into that, <laughs> that bulk bin with the scoop. You know, like, it's, just, it's a novelty <laughs> thing. It's, it this isn't, we're not there. It's, the the grasshoppers, I can see. Yeah. Here's the question I have. You know, a lot of people are talking about their dogs have been eating them. Uh-huh. And I also heard about, like, in Indiana, I guess some of the cicadas are, like, dying from some kind of fungus on their on their rear end. Oh, man. Uh, but it was like the fungus was apparently, like, has these sort of psilocybin or whatever. Oh. Uh, now we're talking. <laughs> And so, like, what happens if your dog runs out and starts eating that stuff? I'm changing my whole stance on eating cicadas, <laughs> like, based on this new information. This is this is fantastic news. Listen, don't, whatever you do, don't get your information from me, all right? That's, that is true. That's, we're we're that's kidding good, around here. Do not life. eat psilocybin-laced cicadas. <laughs> Just don't, don't do it. Don't get in there. I don't know how much time we have with you, Patrick Pima, so I definitely want to dive in to something that we set up last week. You've got this great series of tours, the uh, Society of Urban Perambulators, SUP. Um, that, those are the, that's the acronym. Um, I don't know if you guys, you guys actually call it that. Like but SUP. So you, you guys were out last week. You had another one of these great events. It looked like mm-hmm. I had a great turnout. This is sort of in conjunction with um, thinking about all these issues around downtown, thinking about historic preservation downtown, thinking just about the future of downtown. And, and you guys sort of had a great tour and walk and checked out some stuff. And I know you wrote about it um, a little bit and dropped that today, but but just let us know about the event. Yeah. So um, I guess this would be the third one this year that we've done, but uh, we decided to do a loop in downtown, like the whole idea behind the Society of Urban Perambulators is to get out and get people in the neighborhood who care about cities or just want to connect with people in other parts of town to get out and hear about what's happening in other parts of the city from people that live, work, or are doing projects there. And then, uh, you know, hopefully build some connections and like get a little bit of better understanding of like what's going on in other parts of the city. So this one was focused on a small section of like kind of central south uh downtown central business district area that a lot of people don't see typically when they're out uh because they're on you know 
fifth and sixth streets are one-way pairs and there's a lot of like dead spaces and things like that but a lot of the spaces that we walk to were like buildings that are being revived and the whole point was we're you know partnered up with um the fine folks at vital sites uh heath jessica and charles and um their vital sites is like a are they've been on the show before but you know they're historic preservation advocates and and also get their hands dirty on getting buildings um you know remodeling them and getting them up and and things like that but so the may is uh preservation month historic preservation month so we decided to kind of focus on building historic buildings that are going through an adaptive reuse uh, or potentially could and kind of showcasing those and talking with the people who um, are doing those projects. What was an, an example of a building that is, is sort of going through this uh, reuse um, and, and regeneration that you guys got to take a look at? Um, well, besides like the uh, <clears throat> Brennan house that Vital Sites owns and runs, which is a Italianate Victorian mansion was like the only one left in the downtown area. Uh, we went to a building that I, I I tried to find out if this was true. People keep calling it Steamboat Modern, <laughs> like the architectural style, and I, I think that maybe that's a made up thing in Louisville. But uh, Al Schneider was uh, involved in that development. But it's a I think it's like a nineteen. 40s 1950s office building on on bars or uh, on broadway and it's been sitting vacant for a while it was called the bank of louisville building now they're calling it the 500 building but it's going to be uh nathan smith a friend of the show and uh a designer at, at luck and farley architecture um is rebuilt redoing the, the building and it's going to be an indigo hotel and just kind of going through kind of like what it will take to get it done and kind of like some of the interesting aspects of the building and you know we did that at multiple sites throughout the, the tour excellent yeah i'm looking at your map and, and looking at the really great blog post that you have at uh, udstudio.org folks can go there to check out sort of the recap and some great photos and i just I know this has come up before, but for folks that haven't sort of visualized like sort of a part of the chunk of the downtown that you are on, I mean, you went on this sort of started off or at some point got to on this, this, this kind of west side of Louisville, you know, going from Broadway down Chestnut, down Muhammad Ali. And um, man, it's just this is an area that that I feel like it does have some great large buildings that are, are, are ripe for some kind of repurposing. I know you guys stopped by that AT&T building, um, which is, uh, gosh, like that, that, that um, it's been vacant for years and years and it's huge and just takes up like kind of like a, like a whole chunk of a block. But um, there's all of these kinds of mega structures. There's all of these kinds of not great feelings on the street. Um, I, this is a part of downtown that, that, that definitely needs help, especially as people are thinking about what the future of downtown is. I, I don't know, as you guys were down there, as you were walking around, did, you know, sort of the, these thoughts occur to you about, you know, what, what do we do with this kind of like ghost town, big structure, like kind of street walled space of, uh, of downtown Louisville? I mean, it's pretty interesting because in doing research for this walk, uh, vital sites and I like went reviewed a bunch of things and I started looking at because there's a lot of properties for sale in this area a sprawling area and I put like links to to the properties for sale on LoopNet or CBRE uh, websites for commercial real estate but I mean one of the big ones was the Courier Journal mm -hmm. site that you mm -hmm. know the pretty iconic um, streamline modern uh, architecture design but cool building but when I started digging in I, I realized that the site that's being sold right now is on sitting on 5.45 acres downtown like right on Broadway for like 17 million dollars and that's like 600,000 square feet under under roof 
And I was thinking like that could be, you know, if if the Amazon wasn't already doing a fulfillment center over in Jefferson County or uh, in Jeffersonville, Indiana, right across the river, like I would think this would could have been like a potentially great location for a fulfillment center to fill the like, where the printing presses and things used to be for the mm-hmm. paper because you're on a major trunk line for the bus routes. There's like large like uh, populations of people that could access this for work within a short distance. Um, but you know, there, I doubt that they would do a second one. And I'm not saying that a fulfillment center is necessarily the best thing, but like filling 600,000 square feet of big open space for printers, presses and stuff like that seems like one option, but you know, there, so there's that, but also when I was digging a little deeper that the Gannett who owns the courier journal also owns all of these surface lots around like the bank building I was just talking about and the courier journal to a tune of 13 and a half acres. Man, so much space. you could so create space. like a town, a whole new little town center yeah. if you really wanted to do that on that much space and, you know, fill up all these voids. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about walking around here among a lot of different things is that, for downtown to survive, like it needs to be its own neighborhood and have all the amenities mm-hmm. with people living there. And that, I mean, it's not, it's not like we haven't been trying to do that for a while, but it's, I mean, for downtown to be successful and for people to really want to invest and be down there, there has to be not only like this places for people to live, but the amenities and things that will give them a reason to, choose that over you know a lot of our great inner ring suburbs like streetcar suburb neighborhoods totally totally and there's so much going on on this like you know you thinking about that you you talking about like these huge amounts of space that are available you know currently in our downtown which is already struggling um after the whole COVID situation i mean you got to think about you know what what downtowns are for and, and what people try to gear them toward is downtown a tourist destination? Is downtown a collection of office buildings? Is downtown a place where people live? And it's, it's seemingly, you know, like the, we're maybe not going to be that place. That's that our downtown's not going to be the place. A lot of downtowns aren't going to be the place where people are going to be returning to the office. If that's a part of what we were hoping to sort of fill these buildings and to, to have action and commerce happening, I know, you know, people have a lot of feelings about Richard, Florida. I definitely have a lot of feelings about Richard, Florida. Um, He's a, if you're not familiar, sort of urban thinker, uh, professor, talker, big TED talker guy, writer of books. Um, He's sort of held responsible for creating the concept of the creative class and how, you know, 15 years ago, all these cities were like, we need to bring the creative class to our city. And the creative class basically just means like, young kind of tech cultural workers that make a lot of money. But anyway, all that stuff aside, he has a new article in a Bloomberg city lab from a few days ago, looking at a little bit of data. Um, it's called the death and life of the central business district. Offices are not going to come back to the way they were pre pandemic and neither are the downtown neighborhoods that house them. But he's a little bit of data in here on office workers in, um, where they were as of beginning of May in terms of returning to work in major U.S. cities. So some of these numbers are, are, are crazy. This is coming from, a, I guess, a proprietary sort of data company called Castle Systems that looks at employment, employment consulting stuff. Only 15% of workers have returned to the office in San Francisco. Only 16% in New York City. Chicago, only 22%. D.C., less than 25%. L.A., less than 25%. Philly, just around 25%. I mean, that's crazy. These are huge cities. These are major American cities. This is in in May of 2021, where people have been vaccinated, where mask mandates have been, uh, you know, wiped away in a lot of places. And we still see, you know, this sort of uh, possible scenario where people a lot of people are just going to be working from home and, and what that means to, to the downtown is going to be massive because in that area of downtown that we were just talking about patrick i mean there's those are a lot of 
you know, big sort of office buildings for people to uh, come bring their bodies to sit at a desk. And, you know, some of that wasn't working well already for Louisville <laughs> as that AT&T building uh, w- was vacant for so long. And others are like that. I, I don't know. Um, I think. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Like the particularly the AT&T building, which was like the AT&T or Bell South headquarters back in 1979 when it was built headquarters for Kentucky. And it's kind of like a brutalist style building, although they use instead of concrete, it's a little bit nicer materials. I personally actually think it's a pretty interesting looking building. I would change some things about it, but I think it's actually a little bit better than your typical office place. But, you know, aside from the interesting things that we learned that they could, it's only four stories tall, but it was designed to be eight stories. So it could be built on top of make it bigger. One of the things that Charles Cash and I had talked about was the fact that, you know, you look at the campus and like I have an overhead in the article, but um, it highlights that there's a, you know, 150 parking spaces on site, but there's also like a jogging track around it. And, and it takes up like five acres, but the building probably only sits on about two, maybe less. And the whole idea that we talked about was that you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, when these were being built, like they were competing with all of the companies that were moving out to the suburban office parks. So they were trying to create what the suburban office parks were offering with free parking and like access yeah. to like healthy jogging and like, you know, uh, different amenities all inside the building or on that campus. So basically you drive there. You get out of your car and you're in this bubble and then you get in your car and you go home and you never interface with people downtown. And, you know, there's opportunities for people who might take over these spaces to use some of what's there, but like flip that script and like actually make it forward outside facing and engaging with the street. And I think that that's like going to be an important piece to any of these being successful and the city as a whole being successful moving forward. Yeah, that could be really cool. You know, like um, a big sort of apartment building with the park space kind of around it. I, I, I don't know uh, that, that that could work. That could be really weird in kind of the dead space that it currently is. But even just having people in that building would be better than it being to continue to sit vacant. Anyway, we got to take a little bit of business, kind of a break here. If um, you, you check out City State, we got this really great new intro music from the Smacks. Uh, great guys, um, Brian Manley, J. Todd Dockery. Brian Manley, though, has a show here on WXOX called Driftless Turmoil. A chaotic tumble into a haphazard and irregular tank of sounds, including underground rock, noise, metal, crust, punk, hip-hop, forgotten pop, modern composition, little music, and other records recovered from the catacombs, plus occasional interviews and ideas about music, society, events, and other brass tacks from the American Glome and beyond. That's Driftless Turmoil with Brian Manley right here on Art FM, Mondays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Art FM Programming can now be heard on WXOX 97.1 FM and WXND 100.9 FM in the Louisville metropolitan area. Many thanks to Owsley Brown III, Rainbow Blossom Natural Food Markets, and Kentucky Intentional Sounds for extending the range of Louisville's favorite broadcasters. What was that? Oh, man. I'm getting over a a terrible, terrible cold. I'm not 100% on my uh, vocal game, but it's coming back. It's coming back. It's what, you know, I didn't have a cold for so long because of all the masks. Now the masks are off. We're seeing kids around town. And man, I just got instantly sick and it was, uh, it was terrible. But back to the issue of downtown, you know, back to the issue of, uh, oh man, just on that whole mask tip and downtown. I mean, I guess the, you know, the announcement that the masks were coming off was pretty you know crazy for a lot of folks and for a lot of businesses a lot of the kind of the bars and clubs and and, and those folks that that operate downtown I, I know some of them were kind of taken aback like oh man like this is just we had no warning now patrons are going to be coming to my bar or coming to my restaurant or to my dance club and they're going to be like trying to come in without a mask and this puts me in a weird position 
I mean, I've been going to restaurants, not, you know, not very often, but when I do, it's like when I can sit outside, you know, but uh, I mean, I'm, I've been fully vaccinated and uh, most of the people, all, everybody that I know that I've been hanging out with has been vaccinated, but I ate at a, a Vietnamese restaurant, <laughs> I know we can't say the names, but uh, down in the Nulu area for lunch today with some colleagues that are here from Oakland. And it's, it was interesting when you're talking about the masks, because when I saw them, they had their masks on. They just had gotten fully vaccinated recently. But, you know, in California, I think that it's pretty typical for people to all be masked up even yeah. out, in the, out and about. And, uh, you know, so I put my mask on and everything like that. But I, I don't feel as worried. Maybe I should be. But my household's pretty well covered and, uh, you know, I keep my, still keep my distance and stuff, but yeah, I have been going out a little bit. Yeah. We, you know, I keep my mask on, I think in part, I mean, I've been vaccinated for like two months, I think, but, and everybody here is vaccinated. In fact, my daughter has started the vaccination process and she's a, um, she's sort of in that 12 to 15 range. Right. But, um, the part of it is just so other people don't feel like uncomfortable, you know, like I don't want to walk into a retail situation or a restaurant situation where folks who have to be sort of in the public all the time, you know, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. So I just wear it. And I've found myself announcing like in doctor's visits and stuff like, hey, I've been vaccinated mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, just to like. I think if I were in their shoes, I might want to know if the person, you know, that's breathing in my face <laughs> has been vaccinated or yeah. not. Well, I saw, I mean, there's just this whole deal now, and I know everybody's been talking about it, but it's like, you don't know who or hasn't been vaccinated. And, and, I, and I just saw that one downtown bar was like, hey, look, we, we want to see people's card. Show us your card if you want to come in um, or, or wear a mask, I guess. I, I, I don't know. It just, it, it puts people in, in, in really weird positions but you know on that tip just sort of being around on the other side of downtown from you know where you guys started that walk patrick sort of there on at fifth and Strix, fifth and sixth between broadway and and, and chestnut in there all the way on the other side over on the newly side that you were just mentioning i mean been down through that way uh newly area butcher town uh, sort of the east side of um uh, of downtown man it, it's it's the weather's been so nice i think that has to do with a little bit of it but it just seems people are out there's people kind of on the street there's people out front of, of cafes of restaurants i see people biking i see people walking around on that side of downtown and as people continue to think about you know this ever sort of increasing sort of anxiety about what to do with downtown or what will become of downtown i i think it's really interesting to think about you know where we got there was an op-ed um, late last week in the Courier Journal from the director of the Fraser the Fraser Museum, uh, a, a good cultural asset for the the city. But you know, this is like a sort of local leader, so of course coming with some kind of Pollyanna vibes on stuff. But some of what he's saying, I think, you know, resonated a little bit in kind of the climb of uh, of Louisville's downtown and. Some of these things, you know, have happened with, with various mayors. Some of them, um, given some credit to, to Mayor Greg Fisher, who's been, you know, under attack quite a bit, uh, probably for, for some good reasons as it relates to the, all the police stuff that's been happening. Just going back before Greg, though, we got Waterfront Park. We got the sort of the, the Muhammad Ali Center, the Kentucky Science Center. Uh, we, all these bourbon sort of distilleries came. So, I mean, now there's the... The soccer stadium, which is big time, right? Super big time. Some 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 good things have happened. You know, we, we didn't have that right decision making in terms of the housing that we needed down there, in terms of making the traffic better for cyclists, for pedestrians downtown. I, I don't know. I think there's still a lot of work to do. But it looks like these folks that uh, some some major leaders are coming together. Some major downtown kinds of leaders are coming together for these discussions called uh, Jumpstarting Downtown Louisville. Uh, uh, this is kind of a virtual uh, series that looks like it's going to be hosted by the Fraser Museum. Looks like they're going to have sort of like kind of big institutional 
people coming on to chat, whether this is like, like the, the greater Louisville Inc. president, um, the police chief, the Louisville downtown partnership folks, uh, council people. So this will be interesting to see. Uh, again, like when I'm looking at the list of people that I guess they're hoping to bring on, like, I, I don't know, I, I'd, I'd like to see them include some people from the community include some people that maybe aren't thinking about this kind of same old model for downtown that didn't work, you know, cause look at these, not only the part of downtown that you guys like started off on, on that, that kind of West side, that fifth and sixth kind of area of those enormous street walls. But I mean, you bring it over into the more central space. I mean, look at how devastating the convention center is to downtown. I mean, that, that thing is a, a, a miniature black hole for livelihood and culture and stuff happening. It just, it sucks the life out of everything around it. And it's a, another huge dead zone in downtown. So you look at the, kind of like the west side of downtown, you look at central downtown, you, you kind of compare that with some of the, the, the more friendly stuff that's happening. A little bit, a, a little bit of good activity on Main there, kind of by that, that, that new sort of newly rehabilitated area of historic buildings. Uh, right there, it kind of made in second, but you Whiskey know, even Row. yeah, yeah, exactly. Whiskey Row. Couldn't that's think of the where, name. That's where our uh, fellow host here works sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Okay, I okay. spent a little time down there this week. Long story short, just juxtaposing kind of like the little bit of li- like like street life and, and, and vibrancy of Whiskey Row and Nulu compared to sort of the most of the rest of downtown. I mean, we've talked about this before. Louisville's like the T, a T, basically. Like, you've got Fourth Street, that's the north-south kind of spine, and then you've got Market and Main Street, running east and west on the, to the north by the river, and that's where like most of the buildings that have been saved and the biggest concentrations of kind of more dense, you know, development, historic or newer, has happened. So like those, when you as soon as you start bleeding away from those which is kind of what that tour was to take you away from some of those and see kind of the, the, the transition zones from, you know, the actual, like where there is stuff going on to the dead parking lots and things like that. But, uh, so I think that's kind of part of it. And Maine yeah. seems like more investment has happened over there the last couple of decades that has really put it in a position to be kind of the premier part of the city. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I was going to say something similar, but also the, uh, you know, where we have that sort of, you know, we keep talking about that sort of fabric that is more human scaled, mm-hmm. um, where you can sort of fit more businesses, um, you know, smaller businesses, right, into areas, uh, and they can operate. Those businesses tend to bring people and sort of activate. So, you know, you think of really big structures with big uh, programs like the convention center or even, you know, the Omni and stuff. I think if you're around some of those areas where they do get activated, it's where there's a little shop that's close to it, right? Mm -hmm. But but those those sections like on Main or 4th you were talking about, or market where you've got those clusters of buildings that are only a few stories tall, you know, three to five stories tall, and they're they're they have the sort of human scale spaces in them, the retail and and restaurant and stuff that's on the street. I think you're that's where you see the activity, you know. Yeah. 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 And that, that actually reminds me uh, one of the things when I was researching for this uh, tour last week. Was I love the San, historic Sanborn maps and just pouring over those, especially when I'm going to be visiting an area of town and want to see what it looked like in the past. And there's you can get a 1905 set of downtown like Sanborn maps online and a 1940. You can also get like a 19 or 1892 or something like that. But I looked at the 1905 and put I sewed together this whole section of all these sheets in Photoshop and created this massive map. And was just kind of looking at it and was like, oh, like the the Brendan house on Fifth Street, like uh, there's all these mansions all around it. And and I looked at Fourth Street and was like, there's similar houses all along Fourth Street, which now has like the Brown Hotel and all of these other larger historic buildings that we all love. 
So I, then I decided to put the 1940 set together and compare just those blocks to look at them. And the difference is striking. You know, this is 1940 was really before urban renewal kind of wiped everything out and the highways and stuff were coming in. And I was looking and there are, are is a huge difference in like the, all of the surface lots that came in by 1940 that are listed on Sanborns as auto parking or mm-hmm. you know, auto dealership or auto repair shop all around that basically by 1940 where you're standing at the Brennan house now and looking out and seeing all these parking lots, there were a lot of parking lots back then, but what was most interesting and to get back to all what we were just talking about, fourth street is super dense in 1940 and it replaced all these historic mansions. And it just got me to thinking of the cyclical kind of, you know, effect of like tearing down buildings, putting other stuff up. But the problem is that where what happened between 1905 and 1940, you've got like now like a dense fourth street corridor, those buildings that got torn down, something cool replaced them and like something even bigger and better. But the problem is that a lot of the stuff that seems to happen now is buildings are torn down and left to be parking lots or, you know, they're, you know, at some point, maybe in the future, they'll do something with them or whatever. And it's, it's that fragmentation that is, you know, I'm, I'm not like a strict preservationist and think every building needs to be saved. But, you know, if you tear a building down, you should be putting up something as good or better in its place. And like, that's subjective to some degree, but you can see examples when you look at downtown Louisville, you know, outside of these areas that we just talked about where bad things happened and you, you tore down great buildings and didn't replace it with something of equal value or better. Oh man, that, that's um, so important. And along these lines, Patrick, I mean, I, I know as people continue to think about what to do with downtown, I mean, you've sort of made this like discussion or, or this point that Louisville, like downtown needs to become like the best neighborhood in the city if it's like going to have a chance. And I just love to, you know, hear, you know, let the listeners hear like what you mean by that when you say that. For downtown, I think to really re- come back and, you know, based on some of the Richard Florida article, which seems to just focus mostly on really big cities like San Francisco and, and Chicago and New York, you know, there's, it's a much different situation in cities like Louisville, Memphis, places like that, that, you know, didn't have like the concentration of housing and things going on enough to really make it a place that people would choose over other spaces in the city. Um, and if you're into urbanism and things there, we've got, we're, we have plenty of places around the central business district to offer to people as an option where you get a good enough urban environment, but you also get all of the amenities, the coffee shops, everything, and, you know, and particularly ones that are open you know, after like office hours are over and things like that. And for downtown, I think one of the key things, aside from switching the one-way streets back to two, I mean, we've got to get the housing and amenities to make people choose to live downtown because they want to live in like a city. And right now, you know, and it's all the amenities that Bardstown Road or the Highlands or different places in Louisville offer, but also that kind of dense urban environment that you know is fairly fragmented and you know it's not it's not like we haven't been working towards this but i mean it really has to be don't worry as much about the the people coming in for bourbon or you know going to the convention center um but people who just want to live downtown because they like living in louisville and they want that dense urban option that we don't offer we offer all the other stuff you can live out in the rural part and suburbs you can live in a new urbanist development can live in streetcar suburbs but there's very few places i would think that you could live in downtown and feel like you're in a big city or a medium-sized city and we've got you know some some things are happening there there, i mean slowly and of course not on the level of some of our so-called peer cities that are currently and have been adding thousands and thousands of condos and apartments um, in, in their near core cities 
over the last few years. But we do have some, you know, some projects happening. Like we had some exciting news earlier this year that there's um, the Starks building has plans oh, yeah. for sort of a mixed use um, housing and uh, I, I guess commercial use right there in the middle of downtown at the, in my opinion, ridiculous uh, Four Street Live development. Uh, and I think there's a, a couple of other things here and there, but again, you know, we're not, we're not putting up thousands and thousands, but I think at least that Starks one's like uh, the, the developer said it's going to have 260 apartments. So this is pretty substantial. I know we, we need more folks to get on that. You know, we need city government to be providing incentives for these kinds of de developments to be happening, um, especially where we need these developments to have a, an affordable housing component and a, and a substantial and meaningful affordable housing component. A um, little bit more business. Yeah, we, oh, go oh, ahead. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, that was part of the reason of the tour was to show, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to bash on downtown. I think that it's not, a, it's a complex problem that we have. Yeah. But, you know, the point of the, the trip or the walking tour was, to see some of these places, you know, the, if the Starks building had been farther along, uh, Jeff Underhill had would, would have been down to, to talk more about it, but it's still in negotiations and all that. But anyway, like, you know, we went to see Bill Whalen's, uh, you know, the, the Henry Clay building and that's mm -hmm. like an amazing multi-use. It has ballrooms and all this, but it also has condos or apartments up above. And, you know, the, the Harmony and the, the uh, Philanthropic Center and what they're doing to, like, kind of change, like, what buildings are, and, like, what what it, what it means to be a building in an urban setting and, like, how it affects the people that occupy the building. But there's there's more to do. And it's mm -hmm. just, like, getting getting people out and seeing what we do and don't have and start to, like, think about this. The more people we have actually caring and thinking about downtown, I think the better off we'll be in the future. For sure. And to me, it's not rocket science, and I don't think it's really too much of a debate around chicken or egg. I, I think that if you want to make downtown work, you figure out a way, instead of giving away lots of money to public money to things that are kind of questionable or the outcomes aren't certain, like, let's just incentivize apartment buildings that people can afford downtown we should have already been doing this mind you and this is why the nashvilles and the cincinnati's and the indianapolis's are sort of moving further and further away from us in a bigger sense if we just had people a lot of people living downtown a lot of these problems would just sort themselves out there would be a, a resident population to make businesses work there would be people that are interesting that want to live in an urban city making the parts of downtown interesting just by their presence whether that's commercial whether that's cultural or whether them that's just them looking cool on the street like <laughs> get people living downtown this is a time when we need new leaders we need new ideas we need new investments and we need to make we can make Louisville a fantastic place, but we need, we need some different kind of thinking because the old way got us here, got us to where we are. COVID or not, it, it wasn't really all that great before COVID anyway. So, but COVID at least offers that opportunity to do some stuff in a different way and to bring in some new voices, frankly, that have a different vision and, and, and uh, maybe a more interesting vision than where we have been going. Um, so in thinking about, you know, that conversation of what are we doing in downtown? How can we make this sort of better? You know, is it that we need new leadership or whatever? I guess one of the things is, is for me is like, what are the peer cities that really are truly our peer cities, right? Um, what are those cities that are doing interesting things? How are they doing it? You know, how are the how are they sort of moving things forward politically, uh, culturally, all that stuff? And um, because it seems to me like you can look to models, right, and sort of follow a model that's being done. And I, I think to the point, Patrick Puma, of, you know, we do have some areas where there's some cool urbanism that has happened in town and in downtown, but we have a lot of areas 
they're pretty mediocre, you know, and it doesn't <laughs> inspire. I mean, you know, you may sort of end up on a block that's really interesting, but you can't go beyond that block, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it it all sort of falls apart. And so, I mean, we, you know, I'm just curious, like, where do we look for some of these sort of solutions? Um that's really my my big question you know and how do you change the political you know how do you sort of move the people in power Uh, those are two big two big (laughs) different kind of questions and the same i guess at the same time but i mean the first thing that comes to mind like uh, i'm working on a project where we're trying to you know, give a little boost to an area that needs to like kind of get a, a new its edge back, and uh, I'm gonna go up to you know instead of like kind of like just reading about different places and stuff. Now the the kind of COVID stuff is hopefully yeah you know, someone in the rearview mirror, and I'm gonna I'm going up to Cincinnati uh, next Tuesday and gonna go and check out a lot of the parts of towns, uh, just in Northern Kentucky that are, you know, amazing just to see what's working and like actually experience and what, what these spaces are, have going on and try to figure out what's going on and and talk with people who are doing the stuff there. Just like with the tours that I'm doing with people here in town, like, I feel like it's critical that people who are trying to make this city better go to other cities and see what they're doing and actually like experience it and talk with the people that are doing it. I think if you don't do that, you're never going to get better. It's like when you work with by yourself in an office, like you might have great ideas, but you just kind of keep going back to the same ideas. It's when you are, you meet with and talk to and see and experience other things that you expand your knowledge of what's possible and like how things get done. And, yeah, we, we have to. We have to. I know that there's like these glide trips. I should have never been a part of or anything, but I think they like where they go and check out cities. But I, I feel like there needs to be more of a grassroots thing, where like you know, young developers or whatever it is, like getting like the new voices that Patrick Smith was talking about, but getting those people out and like seeing other places and and like coming back and saying what they saw and like having a report out it's not something that has to cost a ton of money to do but send delegations out to cities that are doing things that are right and figure out and come back and like try to like figure out how to make that stuff happen here we don't need right. to mimic other uh, i'm not saying mimic other cities necessarily no. but there's you know what but do they gotta, do to make that you got to dig into night? it yeah right but you exactly. also got to dig into it and say okay what's the policy what's the oh, code sure. what's the yeah. political or the incentives that Pat Smith was talking about mm-hmm. um, that sort of push this thing forward. How do we not let people sit on properties? You know, what's the carrot and the stick? You know, right. um, that's my question. And I realize it's a tough question to ask. I come at this from a different angle on, on the peer cities, on the comparative stuff. I, I do think it's great to travel and, and get ideas um, from other places. The whole peer cities thing to me doesn't really make a whole lot of sense we don't really have a lot of peers. I think Louisville is, is in a really different kind of place than most other cities. You, you can't unravel this from the economics of the city and the region. And there's only a few that kind of are in our space or in our size, you know, kind of Memphis, maybe like Omaha or Tulsa. But like, we're this kind of weird thing where we're not even close to being as big as Indianapolis or Cincinnati, but we're like way bigger than like Lexington or Chattanooga or, or Nashville, you know? So like, we're like, I would, I would call those sort of like, like Lexington is like a big, small city, right? Like is, is Cincinnati and Indy are those big mid-sized cities? I mean, what is, what does that make us? Anyway, we're in this weird space. I, I think Louisville needs to look at Louisville and worry less about what others are doing and make things happen. I think that the low-fringing fruit, like we were just talking about, is the housing. Like, put every single dollar we can of the COVID relief money into affordable housing in the core. 
Cincinnati's doing this. Hamilton County just announced that they are going to be dropping something like 40 or $60 million into affordable housing um, uh, across Hamilton County, Ohio, which is the, you know, Cincinnati's County. But that, that's what we, we need to like step up with, with the, the, I mean, we're getting hundreds of millions out of that. We need to use that money to build affordable apartment buildings downtown. Look at every single one of these huge surface parking lots and figure out a way to get great housing on them without letting it be a windfall for the business people that have sat on them and let them fester and let them make our city lame for years and decades. Like, well, that's, yeah, let's just go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And that's, well, that's what I mean too, Pat. Uh, <clears throat> um, I, mean, I think you're right. Louisville needs to look at Louisville and say, what do, what do we need to change? What do we need to do? I think the affordable housing makes sense, but I think even some basic things of like, the basic street that you walk down, right? Mm-hmm. So how do those things get developed? How does the sidewalk, the trees, you know, how do let's consider trees as part of infrastructure. Um, but how do those come into play? A lot of times they don't happen until the developer comes on and develops the site. Yeah. And my yeah. question is, is it, does it make sense to wait for that? Is that what other cities do? Is that their approach? Or do you sort of tackle those things, tackle the street um, to make these sort of places and spaces, you know, look good, feel uniform, feel clean, activated, stuff like that, right? Just in the street. And that maybe that those businesses, those developments and stuff will sort of follow. And I realize that's a lot to take on. You can't just take on every street, but I think, I think if we look at our approaches to those kinds of things and yeah. not just leave it, it feels like so many times we leave it in the hands of the developer mm-hmm. um, to make those things happen. And it just seems to me like that's a city thing uh, that the city should be sort of saying, here's our standard. Here's what we do. Here's how we make it beautiful. Here's how we make it happen. Yeah. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and, just not really switching gears, you know, but, but sort of veering, you know, a little bit in in the road. I mean, this touches on this issue that we talked about last week, which is the inability to build affordable housing sort of out in the County because of those sorts of problems of not having those sidewalks or, or those trees or, or the worries about traffic congestion or whatever, you know, this came up last week. This is an, I think another problem to for Louisville to be successful and especially for downtown and the core to be successful because, you know, most cities don't have 400 square miles to, to contend with. And, you know, not only do we have to worry about how we make an already kind of pre COVID lame downtown better, but we all have, we have to do this all the while that we have interests that are, super far away from the core city, don't identify with the core city, want to keep their areas as single family and suburban as possible. We, we have to deal with all this stuff as well. So now we've got all these issues where people are trying to build affordable housing way out in the county. And people in those districts, including some of the council people in those districts, are just totally shutting it down. So we've had you know these cases where people are trying to get these zoning changes because as you know, everyone's aware, if you're not aware, most of Louisville's residential zone space is for single family, large lot housing. Every now and then people want to build a couple hundred or way, even way less affordable units out in the county. It gets shut down because the council person and, and residents and people in public comment will be like, well, we don't have sidewalks. We don't have trees, so you can't build your affordable housing here. Um, And and this is like the way it's going to go until we make that policy change, Patrick Henry, that I think you're talking about. But to me, that's where it gets complicated because I don't think we should be developing out in the county anyway. But at the same time, people need affordable housing everywhere. So it makes sense. But it's just it just it it just dilutes everything, you know. Well, the problem is you end up with a, a development design uh, you know, a planning process that is in the hands of council people who are responding to, you know, their voters, right? Yeah. So right. the the folks from the neighborhood say they don't want it, so the council person has to respond to that. So you, yes. 
I realize this is this is the what happens everywhere, right? But you've put a a, a de- planning a planning and design process into you've turned it into a, fo- a political process, and now yes. it becomes muddied. Um, I had a really interesting thing. I, I did a, a habitat uh, this weekend, and it was for um, some low income housing. It was out here in the East End. Habitat for humanity. I, habitat for humanity. Uh, and I had really mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, um, there were some families from Serbia who were getting, uh, you know, sort of getting home ownership and stuff. And it was that was really neat to see. Um, on the other hand, it was like, well, you know, here's land that was once wooded that's now sort of be, becoming a subdivision, basically. Yeah. And it, I just really had mixed feelings about the whole thing. And I realized, just as you said, we need public, uh, not public, I'm sorry, we need affordable housing um, everywhere. At the same time, you know, in my head, I'm thinking about, boy, uh, what I'd like to see is multi-use housing yes. or, or multifamily yes. housing. And I'd also like to see some of that effort, you know, instead of knocking down woods and developing and stru- stretching the infrastructure and all that stuff, it'd be great to see that happen downtown or the West End or places where we have space available to do those things, you know. There was a great article on the issue of this housing situation from Darcy Costello and from, uh, sorry, Lucas Albeck, uh, dropped, um, gosh, today, we have to walk the walk, housing plans in Southern Louisville, uh, put Metro Council to test. And this is talking about a couple of developments that didn't make it through the um, Planning and Zoning Commission um, on, on Metro Council. More sort of examples of affordable units not being able to get sort of the, the zoning um, changes that they need uh, to, to get through council and to get built. But we are coming up at the end of another hour. You guys have any announcements or, or comments or anything before we jump off? I think we, we do all three love our city of Louisville and oh, we yeah. love our downtown as well. And like, I don't mean to imply it's mediocre. I'm just saying it can it be is. better, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it can be better. There's some spots and, that shine and, and there's a lot of it that's, I think, sub mediocre. But, you know, we're all here. We care. We want to make it better. And we want to have conversations with all of you uh, to help make it better. So definitely hit us up at underscore city state um, on the Twitter. And and let's talk about, you know, sort of the, the next generation, next level ways to do this. But anyway, thanks again for listening to us here at WXOX LP Louisville. Uh, it's been great spending the hour with you. We'll see you all next week. Peace. I got to bounce, guys. <laughs>